may be seated. Today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, I want us to see a connection between verse 1 and verse 13. In verse 1, the, the Apostle Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he says in verse 13, exhorting the Ephesian believers not to lose heart over what I am suffering. It is as if the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Ephesian Christians not to focus on the circumstances of his suffering, but to focus on the purpose of his suffering. And what might the purpose of Paul's suffering be? The glory of Christ and the good of Jesus' church. You know, generally, when we think about church planting here in America, we have an expectation that, that in about three or four years of the very beginning of that, that gathering of the group of people until that church is particularized or organized, like the one in Siloam Springs will be organized later this afternoon, we expect that to all take place within a period of about three to four years. That's the expectation. Just before the missions conference, in fact, Thursday before the conference started, Ray and I had the privilege to take Jamie and Jackie Gildard out to lunch. It was great just to catch up with them. As you know, Jamie and Jackie are, have been missionaries in France, specifically in Marseille, France, on the MTW church planting team in that great city since 2001. And now when they return back to France after their home assignment over the summer, they will transition to Toulouse, France, where Pete and Ruth Mitchell have begun another church plant. But as we talked to the Gildards, I was reminded of how difficult church planting can be in other parts of the world. I mean, it, it has its challenges here in our own country, but in France, a very secular place, a place that is hardened as a nation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting a church is incredibly difficult. In fact, I would say, think in terms of a church plant beginning until it is organized and particularized being more like 10 to 15 years. And in fact, after 15 years of ministry in Marseille, France, the Gildards now believe that they can leave Marseille and leave that new church in good hands, a self-supporting church with a French session and a French pastor. But I thought to myself, if I were in their shoes, 15 years of laboring and finally we can leave, would I not be overcome with discouragement? I would say that after five years, if the church had not been established, I would be very very discouraged. And yet, don't we face discouragement even here in our own church and don't believers all across our own country with all of 
with all we have as an American church, all of the benefits we have and resources we have, don't we experience discouragement? We are discouraged because we're not growing both spiritually and numerically like we think we should. We might be discouraged because the bottom line, the giving, is not what it should be. We could very easily uh, be discouraged because we're not making the, the impact we think we should on culture, even our own community here. Maybe we're discouraged because there's some things that really shouldn't divide that are dividing us as a church family. I'm not just speaking to us, but just the American evangelical church in general, but it certainly does apply to us. Maybe the ministry for which we have a passion is not going like we want it uh, to go. I want us to stop and think about the, the original audience for this letter that Paul has written, the believers there in that Ephesian church. What about them? Do you think they were discouraged? Their church planter is in prison. And what will they do? Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. And he was also a prisoner of Rome. And yet, acknowledging Paul's suffering and the circumstances of his suffering, at, in verse 13, he says, my fellow believers in Ephesus, and Paul would say to us, my fellow believers at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2017, do not lose heart. And Paul gives us several reasons why we should not lose heart. I will tell you what the reason is. The reason is Jesus and his gospel. That is powerfully at work. And Paul shows us this by, by looking at, at three callings that had been given to him. His call as a steward of this mystery. His call as a minister of this gospel. And his call to be a prisoner of Christ and for the sake of the church. So if you have your Bibles open, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Let me, let me read this passage of Scripture for us today. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you, given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members, of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to 
was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And the point that I would like for us to to consider today is that our encouragement over the church is really our confidence in this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you asking for you to open the ears of our hearts, uh, the eyes of our hearts to hear and to see the glory of your gospel, the power of your gospel. Father, that, that even through this message today that there's any discouragement that it might be dispelled as we cast our focus not upon the circumstances of suffering, the source of our discouragement, but upon the remedy and the hope upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So work we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you see in your sermon outline, uh, somewhere in your bulletin booklet, that you'll find three things. Paul, a steward of this gospel. Paul, a minister of this gospel. Paul, a prisoner of this gospel or a prisoner of Christ. And so that's how we will proceed uh, through this uh, text today. Well, let's look first at this, this stewardship that Paul had been given. And a steward is someone who manages that which has been entrusted to him or her. And, and we are stewards of many things. If you're a parent, you're a steward. If you have any level of wealth, you're a steward. You're managing that money. If you have a job, you are managing that work. A ministry, you're managing that ministry that had been entrusted to you. You know, over the years, I have been a chaperone for a number of youth trips that our youth group has taken. We've gone to RYM, Reform Youth Movement. We've gone to Laguna Beach. We've gone to Estes Park. And oftentimes, as a chaperone, my job was to drive the van. And let me tell you, it's a long trip with a bunch of youth in a van to Estes Park, Colorado. And the altitude is no problem for me. It's the trip... Well, a youth, no problem. They were all great, parents rest assured. But I remember, and as, as I've thought back on this, that parents in this church entrusted to me their children. And I was a steward. And I hope, parents, that as you realize I was driving the van some years ago that your children might have been in, that you did not lose heart over my stewardship. To my knowledge, we didn't ever lose anyone. Came close a few times, especially in Colorado, uh, hiking there in the mountains. Paul was called as a steward to manage, as it were, this mystery of the gospel 
that had been given to him. And when we, we read mystery here in, in this text, we're not talking about something that can never ever be figured out. No, we're talking about something that had not yet been fully disclosed or revealed. And so the mystery to which Paul is, is speaking about is given to us in verse 6. It, it reads that Gentiles are now fellow heirs with Jewish Christians members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this really was the subject matter of what we studied in the whole of chapter 2, especially the second half of chapter 2. Therefore, the Apostle Paul is telling us that, that by the blood of Jesus and through the cross of Jesus, very different people, Jew and Gentile, are brought together and a new humanity, one man is created, one man, one new humanity being the church of Jesus Christ. One church, one people, we are one. That's, that's the mystery that had not yet fully been revealed until the apostolic age. And Paul affirms in verses 2 and 3 that he was made a steward. It was by God's grace and by revelation that the apostle Paul was made this steward to manage, to, to receive this mystery. And the purpose that Paul received this mystery that we read about in verse 6 is so he could be the one to help give insight into this mystery and we'll, we'll look at that in the second part as he preached about the, the mysterious gospel that really is no mystery at all to those who have faith. And one thing I want to point out here is that the Apostle Paul didn't concoct this mystery, that is, Jew and Gentile would become one, just as some... some uh, way to, to bring about racial reconciliation between Jew and Gentile in the church. The text makes it very clear that the source of this mystery was God himself. This was transcendent truth that was revealed to the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul and the other apostles that the Word of God might be clearly revealed, written down, and made available to us today so that we can read it and have insight into what at one time was a mystery but now has been disclosed and is to be celebrated. And he, he authenticates the fact that, that this is from God and not just some slick program to bring very different people together. In fact, he says later that this is the wisdom of God, that two people that were once enemies now are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And, and the first bit of evidence, the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, is that he has already written about it. He says, I've written briefly about this already. And certainly he's written about it in chapter 2 where he talks about individual sinners coming to faith. And then he talks about corporately Sinners coming to faith and being constituted as the church. And we think about, for example, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul also wrote about this. And he says this in verse 
chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, there's no distinction in the church of Jesus Christ. The ground is level before the cross is another way uh, to say that. And Paul actually wrote the letter to the Galatians several years prior to the writing of the book of Ephesians. So what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus is not new information. He's already written about it. He's already declared this in the word of God. And secondly, he says that this mystery had not been revealed in generations past. Look at verse 5. And there what he means is the Old Testament. The Old Testament foreshadows God gathering his people from the nations. Brandon read from Isaiah 49 this morning where there the servant of God pointing to Messiah is going to be a light to the nations. We think about Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 3 where from the nations the Gentiles will be gathered to that holy mountain of the Lord. We think of Psalm 96 where there the psalmist declares that God is in the business of gathering his people from the nations, from the world. But thirdly, the Apostle Paul says, that which was foreshadowed, that which was hidden, though hinted about in the Old Testament, is now clearly revealed in the New. In fact, he says in verse 5 that it's by the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles that this glorious mystery that God is bringing very different people, Jew and Gentile alike, together in Christ for true fellowship, true unity, true friendship, true love of one another, the church, that all of that has been disclosed. And, and think about, we, we could... I've got to be careful here because there are so many places we could go to see this in the New Testament. I'll just go to one. In fact, look at the book of Acts. How does the book of Acts start? It starts in part with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where there Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the church, with power. And you are going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea. And then to the end of the world, i.e. the nations. And the book of Acts simply unfolds for us that glorious history of the gospel making waves, as it were, throughout the world. God gathering his people from the nations and the book of Acts as a historical book, a history of God's redeeming work is still open. And we here at Covenant Presbyterian Church are part of that great story. I mean, that's one reason we have a missions conference is to celebrate what is continuing to take place that was first written about in Acts chapter 1, and it continues today with God revealing 
through the written word of God, the authoritative revelation given to us by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and the apostles. So, when discouragement creeps in, and I think it does creep in the church, and when that discouragement is because of divisions over differences or because that we suffer from someone else's spiritual pride, we need to think about this mystery that the very nature of the church is to gather very different people and make them one. And instead of that being divisive, we need to celebrate it <laughs> and embrace it. Think of the early church. Think of that church in Ephesus. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. It was a, like a powder keg ready to go off with people being spiritually proud and people suffering spiritual pride and division because of just how different they were. And we see that, that the powder keg did go off because we have the book of Acts, which basically says there were those Judaizers who really had spiritual pride. They, had, they thought of themselves as spiritually superior to the Gentile Christians. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with that. But, you know, we too can basically thumb our nose at this mystery of God bringing very different people together and making them one in Christ when we think, when we have spiritual pride, when we spiritualize all sorts of things, like I'm a better parent, my politics are better, my ministry passions are better, my worship preferences are better, the way I practice Christian piety is better, my race, ethnicity, my lineage is better. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, if you just stop and think about it, have you ever suffered the consequences of someone being spiritually proud and making you feel spiritually inferior? Have you? I dare say that most of us have. And what Paul is saying is that this mystery that has been revealed through the writings of the apostles by the inspiration of the Spirit dispels division and spiritual proudness in the church. It is God's will to bring very different people together and make them one and kill that which threatens to divide so that they may dwell in unity. True diversity in unity with Christ is to be celebrated and embraced. What a beautiful church Jesus has created. Jew and Gentile, fellow heirs, members of one body, partakers of the same promises of God. Our encouragement over the church flows from confidence in this gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was a steward. The mystery are authoritatively revealed. And secondly, he was a minister of the gospel, charged to preach, to proclaim that gospel message. Well, many of us have had the experience of being able to look at a uh, newborn 
baby. And it's one of my favorite things I do is to, when a family here in the church has a newborn baby, I try to get over there, not to be a bother, but it's, I, I want to encourage them. I want to see that baby because every time I look at a newborn baby, and what I see in that infant the manifestation of God's creativity, God's love, God's faithfulness, and God's beauty in that precious little life. The psalmist said that we are knit together by God in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, similarly, when we look at the church, we see what Paul says, the manifold or the variegated or the multicolored, or the multidimensional wisdom of God. Think of the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God putting Tim Reed in this church, putting you in this church, and you in this church, just all goes together in this great collage that is is as different as there are people in the church. The... I love that, the manifold, variegated, multidimensional, multicolored wisdom of God. It's his wisdom that says, I will take very different people that apart from my grace would be enemies of one another and I will bring them together in the church where there is true fellowship, true love for one another, true community. It is a beautiful thing. In verses 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul affirms his apostleship by stating that he was given the gift of ministering the gospel by the power of God, verse 7. And he specifically called in verse 8 to preach this gospel, to preach this, this manifold wisdom of God to the Gentile World. And we know from Acts chapter 9 that there the Apostle Paul was commissioned by Jesus at his conversion to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then he goes on to tell us in verse 8 that the content of the gospel, and I love this, is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look there at verse 8. And as I think about the unsearchable riches of Christ, one way that we can understand that is to simply remember all that the Apostle Paul has taught us already in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Ephesians. He has taught us about divine election. He has taught us about redemption through Christ. He has taught us us about the seal and guarantee of our inheritance by by the Holy Spirit. He has taught us about the dynamics that take place with conversion. He has taught us about God gathering his people into one new humanity, the church. And then in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that, that he, he, his preaching ministry, the purpose of it is to bring light to everyone about this grand gospel of God to gather his elect from the nations, very different people, and make them one in Christ and constitute them as one body, one church. And Paul says specifically that he created the Gentiles along with the Jews to be fellow heirs, members of one body, 
partakers of God's promises. And then he says, through faith in Christ. It's just amazing to me that as the gospel broke forth, we see its power in people from the nations coming to faith in Christ and becoming part of this glorious, beautiful church. Black and white, brown and red, all people from all the nations, all ethnicities are one. Romans 1.16 reminds us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not limited in its reach. Wherever that elect sinner is that God has chosen to be his, the gospel will reach him or her and nothing can stop it. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are living at the end of the earth. Listen to this. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek And as the gospel, the long arm of the gospel, goes forth and gathers those elect sinners into Christ, redeeming them and constituting them as part of the church, the Apostle Paul says something very odd in some respects. Verse 10, he says that the rulers and authorities in heaven will take notice of what God is doing. Now, I do believe that rulers and authorities here on earth take notice when the church is being the church, when we are unified and we are loving one another and we are loving Jesus and we are are engaging the world with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and mercy. I do believe that the worldly authorities and other people that may even be antagonistic to the church, that they take notice. But here he says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places take notice. What is he talking about? I'm not exactly sure. I want to give you a couple of ideas. And it's not that it's not been revealed. It's just I I ain't that smart. But it could be that the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing that 1 Peter says in chapter 1 and verse, verse 12, that even the angels ponder are looking into intently, are blown away by the mercy of God in saving the likes of us. Could be that. But it also could be that the rulers and authorities are similar to those principalities and rulers that we find in Ephesians chapter 6. The enemies, the, the bad guys of the heavenly realm in a sense that are enemies of God, the fallen angels who look at this, what God is doing, and they fear For so great a gospel that will take two enemies and bring peace and reconciliation and wholeness and oneness and gather them into one church. So I really don't know exactly what the Apostle Paul means. 
other than it points to the inevitability of the power of God to bring about what he has ordained and that is the salvation of lost sinners and gathering them into the church that will never ever fail that I do know Paul meant do you believe that be encouraged this multi-dimensional this variegated multi-colored wisdom of God is even causing the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places to stand up and take notice either to glory in it and to ponder over it or to fear it and to fight against it and then in verse 11 we Read the Apostle Paul saying that all of this is according to the eternal purposes of God realized in the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That if somebody wants to know, just like if you want to know about the beauty of God, the creativity of God, look at a little baby. If you want to know about the wisdom of God, look at the church. If you want to know about the power of God, look at the church. I think that's what Paul is saying here. And how are we to respond, verse 12, by being bold and confident through our faith in him, in in Christ. And I think what this means is that we are to pursue Christ. I think one of the things the Apostle Paul is saying in this text is that, listen, Ephesians, don't focus on the circumstances of my suffering. Focus on the purpose, and that is Christ's glory and the good of the church. In other words, Paul is saying, pursue Christ even as you see me suffering because of my calling to be a steward, my calling to be a minister of the gospel. That we, we are to be confident to pursue Christ. That, that out of the, the amazing transforming grace that has, that has taken away everything that would keep us from God and keep us from one another, we are changed uh, people We have been given grace to live for Christ and to love one another. We now have charity towards one another and even people that are outside the kingdom of God. We now are able to serve one another. We're now able to share our our earthly possessions with one another, to encourage and edify one another, to live in community with one another. This is what the powerful preaching of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ does upon those who come to him by faith. And as we pursue Christ, we become bold and confident, not in ourselves, not even in the church, but in him. Irrespective of the circumstances of suffering. And one of the passages that, that I thought about as I was looking at this is simply Jesus' words in Matthew 16, where he says to Peter, I will build my church, and all of those rulers and authorities in heaven that may be enemies of the church, he says this, and the, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's the lesson. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. See, our encouragement over 
over the church flows from confidence through faith in this gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul was a steward, he was a minister, and lastly, he was a prisoner. <laughs> I've, I've been to prisons. And in recent years, I've been down to the, the, the rightsful units, the women's unit and the men's unit. I know some of you have too, especially at the choirs you go sing at Christmas time. And I, and I really count it a privilege to be able to do that. But I always have the same thought after having been in a prison. I do not want to go to prison. <laughs> it, it just looks very tough. But here's the question that I've had in reflection upon this. Is there something for which I would willingly go to prison over? And the Apostle Paul in verse 1 says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. For this reason. What might be this reason? The Apostle Paul said, I'm a prisoner. I, I, I willingly submit myself totally as a prisoner of Christ, a bondservant of Christ, and I totally submit myself as a prisoner of Rome for Christ and for the church so that the blessings of God through Christ might be poured out upon Gentiles. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying here, my imprisonment, dear Ephesian believers, is totally worth it so that you can know Jesus Christ and seek his glory. And the events detailed in Acts chapter 1 verse 28 include Paul being arrested for, for his ministry as an apostle and steward. And then the latter part of, of Acts is Paul being in prison, house arrest in Rome, waiting his appeal to Caesar. And he says that I'm a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. He suffered because he was, a, he was a steward of the mystery that was revealed to him so that he would suffer as a minister of the gospel declaring that mystery to the Gentile world. And he said, and what he's saying is, Everything that I'm suffering for the blessings of Jesus Christ to be bestowed upon you, my Gentile brothers and sisters, is totally worth it. Because in my suffering, Christ is exalted and the good of the church is met. Then the Apostle Paul says this, so I ask you, in verse 13, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. And he says, which is your glory? Which is your glory? Meaning that their glory really was Christ's glory. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. I think this gets at the very heart of Paul. He says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so I ask this question that, that gives us really the, the, the heart of the Apostle Paul. But let's just think for just a moment, how valuable do you think the Ephesian church was to the Apostle Paul? How important was the church in Ephesus to the Apostle Paul? I'll, I'll tell you how important it was. It was valuable enough, it was important enough for the Apostle Paul to willingly and joyfully submit himself to imprisonment so that Christ would be glorified and so that their good would be meant. All Paul did was for the glory of Christ and the good of the church. Paul exhorted the Ephesians not to lose heart over his imprisonment. Don't focus on the circumstances of my suffering. Keep your focus on the glory of Christ. Keep your focus on what he is doing in the church. Keep your focus on ministering the grace of Christ to one another. Keep your focus on living a life that brings honor and glory to Christ. Keep your focus on Jesus. You know, I came to a, a point, this is somewhere um, before 2006, because we were, we were in the fellowship hall worshiping. I, I came to a place where I was really discouraged in, in ministry. I wish I could only say there's only one episode of discouragement in ministry, but I'd be lying. And I, and I remember that it was during a Christmas Eve service of all things. And I was sitting up there on the stage getting ready to stand up and preach from John chapter 13 at the Christmas Eve service. And I'd really gone through a rough spot, just, just discouraged. You hadn't really done anything. You really wanting the money. It was just, I was just discouraged. And as I was sitting there getting ready to stand up and preach from John chapter 13, which, by the way, is Jesus' <laughs> foot-washing ceremony where, he, where he's serving uh, the disciples and, and giving them a picture of what he would do the next day by going to the cross, all of a sudden it dawned on me why I was discouraged. It was because the church had become, in my mind, in my heart, about me. I was pursuing my glory, and things weren't going the way they should for me to be glorified. That's a bummer. And it was as if an in an instant I realized the church is about Jesus and his glory and the good of his people. Here recently I had a pastor friend of mine tell me, you know, Tim, you know, when we get up to preach, we, we need to, when we prepare to preach, we need to do so because we love the people. And we want to share Christ with them. That's our passion. When we're discouraged, I believe 
It's because we've made something about us. And the church is about Jesus, his glory, and it's about the good of his people. See, that's what the Apostle Paul was telling the Ephesians. Pursue Christ, his glory, and pursue the good of his people. Don't look at my circumstances. Don't lose heart because the church will prevail. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for these dear people. Thank you that you've brought us together as a church. So cause us to set our eyes upon Jesus. For his sake we pray. Amen.